Well, good morning again. Uh, this coming Wednesday, November 11th, is Veterans Day, and so I would like us to take a moment now to uh, honor those among us who've served our nation and wore our nation's uniform. If you are a veteran, would you please stand so we can show our appreciation? Thank you. Thank you for your service. The Church of Jesus Christ was built on his life and miracles, his resurrection, and his teachings like this in the greatest sermon ever preached found in Luke chapter 6 and also Matthew 5 and 7. This is the final words of Christ on that great day that he preached the sermon, Luke 6, 46 and following, in which he says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came and a torrent struck that house, struck that house, but it could not be shaken, it could not be shaken because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on ground without a foundation. The moment the torch struck the house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Jesus is saying here at the very end of his greatest sermon ever proclaimed, it's not enough to hear and approve the words of Jesus. You have to live by it, practice it, and live it out. King Jesus is our bedrock. He is our cornerstone of a church built to last. We've talked about this idea of cornerstone, the first stone laid upon which the whole foundation of a structure is built and every stone is aligned to that cornerstone. And here it is true again, that we're reminded everything that we do, everything that we are, must be aligned with Christ. Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to understand this. And so he wrote these words in Ephesians chapter two to the church. He says, he reminds them of who they are and, and whose they are. He says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Those would have been the labels that they would have carried, how they would have identified who's who and who's what in the church. You're no longer known by those labels, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. So when the flood comes up, a church built to last on the cornerstone will not be washed away. We've witnessed and participated in what is perhaps the most consequential election of our lifetimes. And we're going to weather this storm, the season of division among neighbors and friends, and even as Pastor Frank mentioned, within families being divided over how they vote. Our nation has been flooded with derision and name-calling 
For there to be healing, we must work from the bottom up. It has to be a work of our hearts and minds. And I'm here to challenge you, church, and challenge you at home, church. It must begin with the church of Jesus Christ. Christian, we must be the ones practicing the teachings of Jesus and living by them and putting them into practice. We must practice what we preach. At a bare minimum, church, that means practicing the most fundamental of Jesus' teachings to love our neighbors as ourselves and the teaching to watch our tongues, how we speak to one another. And that starts, I think, here in the church this first day of the week. I am confident and I believe tomorrow will be better than today because that is our American history. Every time a flood of doom threatened to divide or even destroy this republic, men and women of like mind came together, and I believe history shows they very often came within the church, they linked arms together, and they continued toward what was known as, and still today, that more perfect union. Let's commit to that together as the church. It's our duty to see one another in the church, in this church family, as brother and sister. And it's our duty to treat our neighbors in our communities, at work, at school, what have you, as our neighbors, not as adversaries. Just imagine these incredible words at the end of all of his teaching. After all the the, the, the listening, the leaning in, the reaction from the crowds, the head nods. Jesus says directly to his disciples, to you and to me, I'm hearing it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Now, after a morning like today, and hopefully I will land this sermon, Cheryl will often say, those were two great sermons, Pete. <laughs> so that was for sermon number one. Let's get on to sermon number two in our series built to last. And I think it's uh, timely that we're looking at building blocks of churches that are, are built to last. And we see that in the example of the church here in Antioch. And we're at number six now, uh, where the penultimate message of the morning is this. The church built to last is well led by leaders who live out the faith. We see this in the church in Antioch, a church that was well led. It was well led because, first and foremost, it was well-fed. And let me explain what I mean by that. Antioch was a church that was well-fed. Just as we need for our physical bodies, we need good nourishing food to grow big and strong. A church needs to be fed good, solid, uh, spiritual nourishment. And that's what we see here at the outset and throughout the history of the church in Antioch that we've been studying in the book of Acts, chapters 11 and following. Uh, a church that will withstand anything that comes, built to last, built to last the storms that come, the, the possible divisions inside or outside the church, must be well-fed, must be receiving the word of God Sunday in and Sunday out and throughout the week, basing on the word of God and the gospel to feed our souls. 
So we looked at these examples in Antioch, and I'd invite you just to turn to Acts chapter 11, and we'll sort of bounce around through the story of, of Antioch. But let's, let's re- remember uh, where we, we began. We began with uh, the, those uh, men from Cyrene and Cyprus who brought the gospel to Antioch, this, this incredible innovation, first of its kind, followers of Jesus thinking, why don't we bring the gospel to Greek people, not just to the synagogues, not just to people of Jewish descent. Let's bring it to those who we label as pagan. They were the first to bring the gospel. What did they bring? They brought a message of good news and great joy. Getting ready for Christmas, got to warm up for that. And then the most prominent leader in the church uh, at that time was uh, was Barnabas. We know Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. He really lived up to his name. He was an incredible encourager. And sometimes we think, well, That's all that he was. He just encouraged people. But he was much more than that. Scripture says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a man of integrity, Scripture says. And in Acts 11, it says that he encouraged the church to remain true to the Lord. How did he encourage them? Did he send them uh, sweet kisses of of encouragement? What What did he do? No, he preached and he taught them. And Acts 11 says, quote, a great number came to know the Lord. It was under the teaching ministry, the feeding ministry, if you will, of Barnabas, the first most prominent leader in the church in Antioch. The second most prominent leader in the church of Antioch, we know as the Apostle Paul. Before he was known as Paul, he was known as Saul. That was his first given name. And Saul was was infamous, notorious, as a persecutor of the church. He had followers of Jesus rounded up. He had followers of Jesus lose everything they owned. And he was even complicit in the first murder of a Christian disciple. And yet God got a hold of his heart, didn't he? Jesus confronted him on that road to Damascus, as we we see in the book of Acts. It's Barnabas who's the first one to stick up for Saul, later Paul, before the church. The church was afraid of him. But it's Barnabas who first validated, no, 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 This is the real deal. Something amazing has happened in this man's life. God is at work in him. And we see in Acts 11, verse 26, it says, these two, Barnabas and Paul, it says, they were there in Antioch in this little fledgling little church family for an entire year, teaching, preaching, discipling, sharing about the ways of Jesus, how to practice this new way of life, And it's there in Antioch, after a year of being well-fed, the followers of Jesus were given a new title. They were some type of new category. In a city as diverse as Antioch, with something 16 to 18 different people groups and different religions, this was a whole new category. Not Jewish, not Greek. They were known as Christ followers. Little Christ. It was meant first as a put-down, but they were as a badge of honor. They were called Christian. Solid Bible teaching and preaching is a must for a church that's going to be built to last. For a church to, to fully experience its full redemptive potential. And, and you're nodding, and, and I would nod too, that's important, but, but so often it can be missed. We need to have solid teaching, no preservatives, no additives. 
No filler. It needs to be straight teaching from God's word. What is God's word actually saying to me and to us today? And we need the gospel preaching. We need gospel music. I'm not talking about gospel music as a genre, although we did get a little gospel music today, didn't we? Didn't we get a little gospel? A little gospel-y. No, I, I mean music that is gospel-driven, that turns our attention to the one audience in which we're coming here to celebrate. Last year, 2019, uh, Sarah Goodell, who's now our next-gen director, and Cammie Wright, who's our director of children's ministry, and I traveled to Atlanta, Georgia for the Orange Conference. Orange is, um, among other things, it's a curriculum that we use for, from little kids uh, through high school in, in order to train them up in the way of Jesus. And it's this wonderful uh, concept of the gold of the gospel, the yellow, painted yellow, yellow gold, close enough, and the red would be the heart, the family, your home, the two coming together, making that orange, that connection between the role of the church and the role of the family working together. And so Cammie and, and Sarah were attending this conference with some 6,000 other um, leaders uh, working with uh, children and youth ministry. And I was invited to go across the street to the Rethink Leadership Conference. About 500 executive leaders and pastors from across the country. I think, I believe the year before, uh, David attended that leadership conference. And, and at this conference, it's a time to get to know one another, of course, but also to hear what's the latest, what's, what's happening in the life of the church and ministries across the country and even around the world, and how can we uh, continue to communicate the unchanging message of the gospel to an ever-changing world and find that, that balance. Well, the main leader of the event is a fellow named Kerry Newhoff. Kerry Newhoff is a, a pastor, he's a writer, podcaster. He's not a prophet, but he has been used by God to really put a finger on uh, the latest happenings in the church. And oftentimes, his predictions have been quite accurate. He would be the, the Nate Silver of church ministry, if you will. I just made that up. I don't know if that's true. But Kerry had a breakout session that first day. There were probably a half dozen different sessions people could go to, and his was the, the highest attended event. And at the event, he was talking about what are the trends, what's coming in 2020 and beyond. And I remember this, but I took notes, and then I checked my notes on what was on their website to make sure I got this right. He said in 2019, the attractional, consumer-oriented approach of church will continue to stall out. I'm looking around, seeing people that know what that type of, of church mentality, that kind of an idea of getting people to come in looks like. He's saying that's stalling out. He said, however, charismatic expressions of church will grow. And he had to unpack that because the, the, the charismatics, the Pentecostals that were there were saying, yeah, oh, praise the Lord. Like, no, no, he wasn't talking about Theology is talking about the expression of the working of God's grace by the power of the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. He wrote this, quote, almost all the growth happening in churches seems to be coming from churches that have a more charismatic expression to their worship, preaching, and culture. And I've seen that to be true in my own uh, ex my own experience and my own study of what's happening, not only on this continent, but Church of Jesus Christ is worldwide, what is happening in the global south and around the globe. There is a more charismatic expression. This expression is, 
beyond theology. It's beyond denominational affiliation. I've seen it in all sorts of different denominations, friends that serve in denominations of, of every stripe, but it's happening there. And it's more evident, it's more pronounced than ever because of COVID. We're leaving behind the seeker-sensitive consumer model, and there seems to be a desire for preaching and worship and mission that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Worship that is actually worship, and, and not just musicians performing with a passive audience. Preaching that speaks to the heart as well as to the head. And I, I try to connect the two, but sometimes uh, there, there's a little separation, isn't there? But we need to have the heart and the head, right? We need, we, we need the heat and we need the light in preaching. And what Carrie went on to say, because people were really asking questions, what does that mean for preaching, this idea of being well-fed? Because I was in a room full of, of cooks and chefs, people that serve up God's word every week. And this fellow said to them, and there was a little bit of a, of a oh, for son, he said, we have to be more expositional, folks, he said. Pastors, we need to preach God's word verse by, by verse. And there was a bit of a collective, what? Because in a room full of gifted, dedicated men and women who serve the Lord, have preached much longer than I have, many, many have based their teaching on a story, experience, and sprinkled in scripture to suit the message. And what we're finding, and I experienced this after 9-11, as a pastor, a new pastor in Minneapolis, when I had to throw out everything I had learned about preaching and learn it all over again, is that when God's people are in great need of spiritual truth, they don't want to be served sweetness and milk. They want meat and potatoes. What does God's word actually say, pastor? Don't hold anything back. Don't skip the passages that are hard. Let's get into it. What is God communicating to us today? That we're seeing is where the church is growing and where congregations are engaged in life and mission under pressure. Not, not just showing up on Sunday or at home, as wonderful as that is, and we've seen more and more people doing that, but then actually engaging in ministry and mission in our neighborhoods. Folks, we're in the midst of the most consequential shift in communication in the church in well over 100 years. 500 years ago, Gutenberg Printing Press, the Gutenberg Bible, transformed the way the gospel was communicated. Translated into a person's mother tongue so they could actually understand what God's saying. Over 100 years ago, the advent of the radio transformed the, the mission of the church. Not, not just to reach this continent, but around the globe, reaching beyond barriers of nations and nationalities to share the good news. And now, as of today, more people have joined churches online for worship than ever before in the past, what, three decades that we've had the internet. And I'm thankful that we have some very creative, very talented, dedicated leaders and volunteers in our church who are making this possible right now. You know who you are. And yet we see this will continue. And so we're 
identifying as church leadership that one of our main goals this year is being a physical church with a digital platform. Churches across the country, on average, invest about 1% of their budget in online uh, content and, and whatnot. That needs to shift. It's already shifting here. It will take more resources, and frankly, it will take more volunteers. We are stretched so thin right now, thankful for a brand new volunteer who's serving this morning up in the sound booth. Because even as we have you coming back to church and I want to look out at everyone here in the seats. God bless you. So glad you're here. And we hope everyone at home will come and visit church. It's safe. It's wonderful. Isn't it a great church to be in person? All right. They're being paid to say that. Uh, more and more people every Sunday are coming to our church through the online experience. And we need to, and we desire to make this online experience more and more uh, meaningful and, in that sense, charismatic for you at home. That it's not an afterthought that there's a camera being pointed at me, that we are actually finding ways that we have to be creative of how we do this, how we close the gap between where we sit, where we stand, and where you sit at home. So Antioch was a well-fed church. May Lord bless our preaching and teaching ministry as a church. It was also a well-led church. Being well-fed, they were prepared for the challenges that were to come that we have talked about over the past number of weeks. Challenges from the outside, division that was possible from the inside. This sixth building block, this is number six of the building blocks, it's a really interesting one. You think about a block, think about a brick. A brick is made of clay and concrete, right? The concrete, I think of what was in Antioch, what I think is a special ingredient that we have as a church. Not every church does this the way they lead a church, but the way we have it at MVC is that they had a plurality of leaders. A plurality of leaders. Kind of rolls off the tongue. What do I mean? I mean this. This wasn't a one-man show of Barnabas or a two-man show, uh, Barnabas and Paul. There was a plurality. There were a number of leaders serving this church. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up, in, uh, up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Five leaders now identified in Antioch from incredibly different backgrounds and perspectives. Of course, there's Barnabas and, and, and Paul, both Jewish, both very uh, much growing up and understanding Jewish custom, although they both grew up outside of Palestine. But these were learned men. They, they spoke and read and wrote Hebrew, but they also understood Aramaic and Greek. Then there's Simeon called Niger, is simply pointing out that he was a black man from Africa. That's what that means. There's Lucius from Cyrene. That would be in Libya, North Africa, very likely. He was one of those original, original church planters that said that there were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. So could imagine, makes sense that he'd be one of them. And then last but not least would be a man, a man who grew up with incredible opportunity and education within the household of Herod Antipas. Herod, this is the Herod who took the head of John the Baptist. 
How's that for a diverse leadership team? There's no one man says this is the way it's going to be and that's just the way it is for everyone. This was a team of teams working together. Just imagine how high the possibility was for a, a cultural faux pas, for someone to say something that might offend, how much extra time would be needed to sort of work through differences and no, no, that's not what I was saying. What I meant to say was this and, and back and forth. But within that back and forth, within that extra time, in prayer and in fasting and in worshiping, they were able together to discern the will of God. I imagine it needed a fair amount of peacemaking, which was block number five we looked at last week. Humility, patience, love, bearing with one another. That's what we see here in the book of, Anti uh, of, the book of Acts about Antioch. It was pretty, pretty Presbyterian. For my friends that come from other denomination backgrounds, it's true, it's right here in the Bible. A plurality of leaders. And that's what's made MVC, and previously MVPC, so strong for such a long time. Our leadership structure, that's the concrete, I think, that's held us so strongly together. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, it says, they are called through the church to go on mission. It wasn't like they said, church, we've got a big announcement. We know you have no idea what's happening, but we've decided we're going to go on mission. No, it says, the Holy Spirit spoke through the church. In Acts 15, it's the church, it's the leadership of the church that sets apart Paul and Barnabas, and it says, and other leaders to go to Jerusalem and then we see Peter and James, and they're not alone. It's not just like Peter, uh, he's got the keys to the kingdom and he's in charge. He's not a pope. It's Peter, it's James, and it says the elders and the assembly, they were all engaged in this together, crafting a letter that was written to the church in Antioch to, to, to explain things, to clarify things, to bring peace and order. And then Acts 15.35 says this, Paul and Barnabas, they remain in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. It's a plurality of leadership. We're all in this together. While the early Christians faced all forms of suffering, loss of property, real loss of liberty, when they suffered incredible injustice at the hands of the state. Paul being dragged through the city of, of Derby because of, it says, Jews followed him there and rose people up against him, kind of stirred a dissension against him, and he was dragged out and stoned half to death and then dragged out of the city. Even despite all the struggle that they had, there's one struggle the early church never faced. Do you know what it is? Loneliness. Early believers were never lonely. And I know too many pastors who are lonely right now. They're completely on their, their own. They feel like they're just out there on their own trying to lead a church. Folks, we need one another. We need to come together now more than ever before. We need to link arms 
in the midst of coming off of a couple of years of election cycle, and believe me, the politics aren't over, in nine months of COVID and more to come, in a school year of homeschooling, we need to come together as a church in these next number of months to see us through this time. David mentioned November 22nd, 10 a.m., the election of new leaders for our, for our church, for the next term of elders, deacons, uh, those that will serve as trustees and those part of our mission council will all be presented on November 22nd at 10 a.m. I hope you can be here in person. And if you're watching at home, we will have it on Zoom as well. In over 20 years of ministry, I've never seen a nominating committee, the committee that goes out to, to find those that would serve and discerns and praise and then ask. I've never seen the nominating process move so quickly as it has in COVID. Now, oftentimes, you identify people that possibly could serve and you get on the phone and you start calling. Not, not myself, but Ben Becknell and his team. And you keep calling and you keep calling. And there's one reason after another why for all, all good purposes, people just can't serve right now. Hang up. Okay, call someone else. Okay, well, well let's just keep calling, right? I've never seen something fill up so quickly ever in any church. We had 16, 17 uh, spots to fill. We, were, we made 24, 25 phone calls. It's usually late December, you're still trying to find someone to serve. It's a testament to this church the depth of the leadership here. We are a well-led church, and that is not an attribute that's pointed at me or anyone who serves up on stage. It's to all of you. So I'm thankful for that. So come up on November 22nd. A church that is well-fed will be well-led to fulfill its full redemptive potential. I've said it before, I'll say it again, church is not just a Sunday thing. Uh, once we're fed, once we've, we've uh, turned our attention to the Lord and we've celebrated uh, the Lord together and we've felt full of the Holy Spirit, we, our souls are full, no, then we go out. Then we're the sent ones. So a church that is well-fed and well-led, Jesus will one day say, well done. As in, well done, good and faithful servant. They have his parable, Matthew 25, 23. So after all the hard work that Paul and Barnabas did to, to grow up this church and make disciples and give away leadership and equip the saints. We read, uh, going at the end of chapter 15 and onward, there was a parting of ways between Paul and Barnabas, and we don't know exactly, we know the cause of it, but we don't know exactly how they eventually came together or if they did, if they parted ways and the Lord just led them to do other things. But the impact of their ministry for the time in which the Lord had them there in Antioch was unprecedented. Hundreds of Christians equipped to go out and impact their world for Christ, involved in their community. This was the beginning of a massive shift in the culture and in society, the likes of which any army or any emperor had never seen before. These Christians that were so easily dismissed, and we can read about this in extra-biblical, that means writers that aren't in Scripture, but those that were writing about those times. They say that this ragtag group of people, they say often it was just women and children because the men were taken away. They were changing society. They fought for justice. They fed the hungry. They took in unwanted children and raised them as their own. It had never happened before. 
They served the poor. They followed the suffering king so that he would say to them, well done, good and faithful servants in Antioch. They had the building blocks of a well-fed, well-led church. By God's grace, Lord, would you say that to us one day? Well done, good and faithful servants of Maple Valley Church. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enjoy now. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, MVC is not a program church. We are a family church on mission. Our mission is to help all people know God more deeply, love others more completely, and live life more fully. So Monday through Friday, we don't run a nursery at MVC. We have a Christian preschool. We don't have childcare. We have a children's ministry. And we don't have a rec center to keep uh, youth entertained. We have a vibrant student ministry that's outgrown the chapel up the hill and is now meeting here in the sanctuary. And I'll tell you folks, you parents already know this, this ministry is literally being used by God to save our young people's lives from a mental health crisis. We don't have social clubs. We have small groups of people that care for one another so deeply that I'm one of the last to learn that someone's in the hospital or a baby's come. Don't worry, Pastor, we got it covered. Someone's in need. Pastor, we're there. We took care of it. We covered the bills. We don't have fuddy-duddy, old-fashioned committees. We have vibrant ministry teams of men and women putting their lives on the line to serve and extend our ministry. We don't have a new members class. We have Next You helping you identify your God-given abilities and talents and gifts and your shape to fit into our church family so that you can use your gifts to reach your full potential in the life and ministry of this church. The maximum influence and impact of the church through the members of the church will not happen on Sunday mornings. It will happen when you leave this campus, where you go out off campus, into companies and storefronts and schools and governments and social enterprises and wherever God calls you to go to make a big positive influence. That'll be the church. It's not a building. It's people. Rob, you can come on out with the team. Let's say this is a blessing over you and a charge to you, church. May we always remain a church that is well-fed and well-led. May the message of Christ dwell among us richly, Colossians 3.16. May we open our doors wide and welcome all of God's people. May our leadership always be of the highest degree of integrity. May we continue to raise up the next generation of leaders. And may we love God and serve people in Jesus' name passionately for his glory. Amen.